It's honestly kind of funny that we're singing Christmas songs because I'm starting out my sermon to tell you how much I don't like Christmas. <laughs> I mean, I want to like the idea of Christmas. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I love the, the peppermint mochas and the candy cane shakes. And the, actually, I even like the snow if we ever have it. I love the beautiful things about Christmas. I love buying gifts. As a matter of fact, I, if, if you don't know my family, I'm the one that buys the gifts. It's like, it's kind of weird, I know. Um, but I love doing that. But the actual day, Christmas Day, it's hard. I bet for some of you it's hard too. I mean, again, I love the trees, I love the decorations, I love all that good stuff, but I don't like putting it up or taking it down. <laughs> I, mean, I always tell Amy, I always joke that if I was rich enough, I would just build a house that had an elevator with the tree just comes up and down. Hey, it's time to put the tree up. <sighs> nice. I wish I had a fireplace, you know, to have hot chocolate around the fireplace, snuggled up in a blanket and enjoying some good Christmas music. Oh, I love the music, too. I don't like playing it that much sometimes because there are weird keys and lots of chords. But I love the music. But I think it's, I think it's the idea of Christmas. That gets us trapped. I mean, the reason that we laugh at movies like The Christmas Story and Christmas Vacation is because they're exaggerations of real life, right? We know what it's like to try to have the perfect holiday, the perfect Christmas day. Oh, the, the, wonder, the children running down all joyful and tearing into their presents and laughing and, and everybody hugging and, and cuddling by the, on the couch, you know, enjoying their Christmas day. Does it really work like that? I mean, actually, I, I don't want to bash. It's not Christmas. It's any holiday for me. I don't like any holiday. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a Grinch. Call me whatever you want. It's just the fact that Father's Day, don't like it. Why? Because it's always, I don't like attention. You know, I, I grew up, I've shared this over and over again. I grew up the youngest. I wanted attention. It was all about me. I was selfish. I was self-centered. It was all me, 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 me. And I've tried to get over that over my year, over the years. I don't know if my family would tell you that I've succeeded, but I've tried. And so I don't want a day about me. I don't like my birthday. I don't like Father's Day. And Father's Day makes me think of my dad who's gone. Christmas makes me think of my dad because we had his funeral two days before Christmas. Makes me think of my mom who passed several years ago too so both of my parents are gone I have two little girls that my parents have never met my parents have never met Josh's new bride or Drew's soon-to-be bride they they didn't get to see our boys grow up to be the men that they are and I think about them on Christmas Easter Thanksgiving Mother's Day Father's Day we want it to be perfect. We want these holidays to be perfect. Even a perfect, beautiful holiday like Major League Opening Day can be ruined by a Cardinals loss. You all have the anticipation. You get the jerseys and the hats and the socks and the shoes, and you turn on the TV and you're like, oh, this is a dud. Well, so much for that. Wait till next year. Sound like a Cub fan. Always next year, right? Sorry, Ken. <laughs> but holidays, we have, and, and here's the problem. The more and more I think about it, the problem is that the holidays create so much distraction in our lives, and they take away from what really matters. This is the first holiday that we've had 
um, Thanksgiving and Christmas where we've had to navigate the in-laws, right? We have a brand, we have a brand new daughter-in-law that we love dearly, but now we're fighting for time, right? So now it's, oh, when can you come? So Thanksgiving we had on Friday because that's when everybody could come together. So next year we're going to have the same problem. And it's always this, this jingle, this, this uh, I, I don't even know what to call it, but all of this trying to figure out things, all these plans, all these demographics. And the fact of the matter is when I get here on Christmas Day, I'm like, can't we just enjoy each other? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? But we're so worried about it being perfect that we forget that we all are together. We think about what we don't have, what we didn't get. Think about maybe we go to the store, we see Valentine's Day stuff up already. And it's just a bunch of distractions to distract us from the truth. Christmas Day is supposed to be about the celebration of the Messiah being born in flesh. And we make it about so much other stuff. We're fragile, we're distracted. We're easily entertained and we're easily swayed from our focus, aren't we? One of the things, my goal is every time I get up on this stage, every time I get up to talk to to you, I want to be as real as possible. I want to be as transparent and as honest and as real to you because I feel like maybe some of my struggles and some of my feelings are things that some of you deal with. On a daily basis, too. I'm, I'm guessing that many of you had a tear on Christmas morning. That just didn't feel right. There was something missing. There was a void, a gap. And we love Jesus. We love the fact that the Messiah came, and we're thankful for that, but we're just focused on other things. It's painful. It's hard. Sometimes it's funny. But we're just so easily distracted. And, and the more and more I was thinking about this holiday and what I want to share today, the last day of 2023, is, of course, share the joke that I'll see you next year, but I'll come later, um, is how fragile we are. And, and I, when I started looking at verses, when I started thinking through it, I thought of this verse. So if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> turn with me to 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, simple verse. I just want to share it with you this morning and talk about it a little bit. Chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the the church in Corinth, and he shares this, talking about himself and his uh, his fellow workers, whether it be Luke and Timothy and all of his group of people, you know, throughout the years, Apollos, Barnabas, all these people, Paul is talking about himself to the church, and and he writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. And this passage just keeps sticking out. This phrase just keeps sticking in my head. We know we have this treasure in jars of clay. Can you put that can you put the, the cover slide back up there real quick? How many of you feel like that jar? Maybe it's not even on the holidays. Maybe do you just feel like that jar? Cracks, blemishes, chips. I do. 
And Paul says, we have our treasure. And what treasure is he talking about? If you go forward a little bit, if you go back a little bit, he's talking about the glory of Christ being revealed in us, the light of Christ in the glory. And you think about the fact that Paul is saying that we have this treasure. The treasure of Jesus has been, has been given to us, has been entrusted to us. But what are we? We're just cracked jars, broken, hard-pressed on every side, chipped, stained, whether it be from our own mistakes, from our own decisions, from outside struggles, from sickness, from disease, from accidents, from our own sin, from whatever, from anxiety, from stress, from pressures, from distractions, whatever it is, we look back at our lives and we're like, I am broken. But we're entrusted with this treasure to carry around with us. And Paul says that that's a reminder that it's not about us. My friends, I'm here to tell you this. For, forget New Year's resolutions. Forget all of this stuff coming into 2024. Here's what I think the heart of it should be for each and every one of us, and I'm going to do my best to do that, is we need to stop looking inward, outward, and we start need to looking upward. This, the reason we celebrate Christmas morning is this Messiah. The reason we celebrate Easter is an empty tomb. That the Messiah came, took on this earthen body, gave himself up to death so that his glory could be revealed through us in our jars of clay. And that we can have hope that one day we will become to join him in eternity with him. Whole, unblemished, unbroken, unstained, uncracked, redeemed. But we spend so much time focusing on us. Why do they have this? Why do they have this? Why don't I get this? It's not fair. It's not fair. And we're acting like grown children whining and crying about why life isn't fair to us. And we're so focused on that. We're so consumed with that. Or we share pictures on Facebook or Instagram about how, how our life's perfect, or how, how Christmas morning was so much fun. I shared a picture. I forgot I was going to share it on the screen this morning. Uh, <laughs> Our, our little girl, four years old, we got them little Carhartt beanies, little, you know, little caps, and they got their, this is the first time they've ever gotten little colors in their hair, and they got extensions, so they're, they look way too grown up for daddy, daddy's liking, but they're super cute, um, and she put the beanie on, and I, and I was like, oh, this is so cute, so I put it on, on Facebook, and I'm like, oh, look at how our Christmas morning was so happy, this was like an hour before she was getting yelled at for being a complete, <clears throat> I can't say, um, hmm. Struggling. She was struggling. Let's just say that, right, to, to want to listen. But, oh, we, we post a picture of the beautiful, cute little kid. And we're just easily distracted. We want the perfect thing. Our ideas are perfect. We watch the Hallmark movies and all those movies, and we're like, oh, we, Christmas is going to be so beautiful like this. And, it, and then we let ourselves down, and we get all distracted and all depressed because it didn't turn out like that. We're distracted people, distracted from the outside things, distracted from the inside things, just distracted. One of the books that I, I decided to start reading, <laughs> actually in preparation for this message, and, and many people have, many pastors, many preachers have used this book as an illustration over and over again. So I'm sure you've used it, so you're probably not going to hear anything new today um, that you haven't heard before. 
But there's a, a book written by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Have you ever, you ever heard of that? Well, in The Screwtape Letters is a collection of letters written by a senior demon to his nephew, uh, Wormwood. Great name. I'm glad I, I mean, I'll, I'll take Tracy over Wormwood, um, I guess. Uh, so in all of these letters, he's writing, and in, basically he's mentoring his demon nephew on how to sway his patience, he calls him. He calls, he calls Satan the great father down below, and he calls God the enemy. Okay, And so he just keeps writing these letters over and over again about certain situations that his patient, the person that he's trying to dissuade, who just became a Christian um, earlier in the book, he's trying to dissuade him using the war and using other things. Um, and over and over again, when you read those letters, I encourage you to do it, because if you, when you read them, I read the first two letters, and I'm like, this could be today. We always say how today is so much harder than it was back then, you know, back in the good old days. Or so much harder back than it was back in the Bible times. It's just not true. That's another distraction. That's another lie we're told. We don't change. Maybe technology has advanced. Maybe a little bit, sure. Maybe information is spread in different ways. But the truth of the matter is the heart of the human being is still the heart of the human being. And the heart of the human being still has the problems that they had from the very day one. In the garden. We want to be autonomous. We want to serve ourselves. We want, we want everything for us. That's our will. Our will is to serve us. Not him. And so in this book. Um, Screw tape. His uncle is writing him. All of these certain things. And letter after letter. Do you know what the one thing. that The one thing. Reoccurring theme over and over again. Is in those letters. Is that Wormwood my he calls him his uh, affectionate, his affectionate uncle, weird, weird, uh, for demons. But he says, each and every time he gives him something to do, it's to distract his patient. He says, yeah, let him pray. Encourage him to pray, but encourage him to pray to the crucifix on the wall. Or encourage him to pray general prayers and not be heartfelt about it. Encourage him to go to church, but encourage him to start thinking about the other things around us, the carpet, the music, the chairs, the whatever. And he keeps, he, and I'm reading this, and I'm like, wow, this is me. This is us today. This, this book was written almost, oh boy, I guess it was written over 100 years ago. And it's as relevant today as it was then. The devil's best tool You've heard it before, is distraction. It's distraction. And we, as clay pots, as jars of clay, are fragile. We're susceptible to that. But the one thing I want to talk about is I, I saw this, I don't even know when it was. It's, it's been several years, I think. You know, Big Cat Week, they have Shark Week, uh, Shark Week on National Geographic, I think, and they have uh, Big Cat Week. Maybe it's Animal Planet. One of those. There's so many channels now. Um, I was just scrolling through on the Big Cat Week, and I was like, I don't usually watch them, like, you know, um, religiously, or, uh, oh, it's Big Cat Week. I got, But I just happened to be flipping, and I saw this, and something caught my attention. Did you know, because I did not at the time, that lions, the females, are the hunters? Did you know? Probably most of you knew that. I'm probably the only one that didn't. But the females are the hunters. 
Did you know that? And because they're smaller, they're faster, um, and they're meaner. Never mind, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to stop myself. Casey would say it, but I'm not going to. Anyway, they're the hunters. And what they do is they're also easily camouflaged because you think lions are enormous, right? They could be almost 11 feet long. They got the big manes, the, the boy lion, the male lions are just huge, massive um, uh, beasts. But these lions, the, the female lions, when they hunt, they will, like, they'll kneel down in the, in the prairie grass or in the, in the tall grass, and they'll just wait. They'll wait for the opportune time for their target to not be paying attention to be distracted. And sometimes if, and sometimes what happens, that if the, the, the female lion just waits and waits and waits, what happens is sometimes the male lion, as this big, domineering, gigantic, scary beast, will stand in front of the prey just to, so that his prey can see and be scared of the giant king of the jungle. Well, guess what happens? Mrs. Lion <laughs> strikes. First Peter. <clears throat> Peter, Jesus' disciple, who we know had a, had a rough go a lot of times. He writes in his letter, in verse chapter 5, or in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, he writes this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Listen to this. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. I thought of that passage when I was watching that, script, when I was watching that video. Because that's how it's like the devil is prowling. He's waiting for the opportunity to strike, but only when you're distracted. Some of us have suffered loss. Some of us have suffered blows that no human being should ever experience. And I look at my life, and I look at the blows that I've taken when I lost my dad and my mom and you know, my grandparents, when I was a young age, it's like compared to what some of you have lost, doesn't even compare. So I'm not able to, to give you a great word of encouragement on that because I haven't felt exactly what you felt. But I know this. There are days that I feel broken, anxious, Depressed, focused on what I don't have instead of the things I do have. Ironically enough, I got these new pair of shoes for Christmas. They're called gratitudes. <laughs> Maybe if I wear them, I look down. Like I got the tattoo on my arm that says, uh, I'm, oh, this arm. <laughs> this says, I am second. I hate that tattoo. Because <laughs> it's a reminder every day that I need to put myself behind everybody else. And now I got shoes that remind me to be grateful. Great. Why did I do that? But the truth of the matter is, is it's so easy to focus on things that we don't have than things that we do. I do it almost every day. 
what we have is this treasure in jars of clay. And the interesting thing about the jars, if you think about the idea that Paul put in our head about the glory of Christ, the light of Christ, well, what's, what's the easiest way for the light to get out if you put it in a jar that's cracked? More cracks mean what? More light. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians that we have this treasure in the jars of clay, this earthen clay vessel that, by the way, in, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when, when the fall, uh, when Adam and Eve took the bite of that fruit from the, from the tree in the garden. God says to Adam at the very end of his curse, he says, you've heard it probably at, a, at funerals, it says, from the dust you will return because out of it you came. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. We are made with that same dust. The clay pots are made with that same earthen material that's going to crack, it's going to break, it's going to be gone. But the, glo- but the more cracks and the more damage we have, the more we focus in, on the upward instead of the inward and the outward, then more light is going to be able to shine through. When we go around and say, I am not okay. I'm not. I'm a broken clay pot. But I'm looking forward to the day that I be restored by the king. That's one of the best things that have come out of the, the most recent years. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff that's floating around that's not good in the world. A lot of teachings. But the one that I really like the most, the one I think is the best is it's okay to be not okay. We as Christians have spent way too much time looking perfect or doing our best to look perfect. That's why we're called hypocrites, because we try to look so good on the outside, just like those pictures on Facebook or Instagram, all the, f- all the prettiness, all the joy, all the love, all the, all the warm, fuzzy feelings. But instead of saying, I am not okay, This church is full of people that are not okay. We're full of a bunch of crackpots. But we're all crackpots waiting to be restored by the king. And we have a message for you. If you're a clay pot, we have this treasure that you can keep. Sometimes we get trapped in our own minds, too. Um, We have a dog for 15 years. She's getting up there in age, unfortunately. It's kind of sad to see. Um, but at night, she'll go into her crate, right, to sleep. And the way that we, she gets in her crate is we give her a little treat. If you can see, from way back there, if you can even see, it's a half a treat, actually, because she's a small dog. She's only like, well, now she's only like 10 pounds. But, you know, it's a, it's a treat that way. We cut it, we, we break it in half, and we say, Suki, you want a treat? Suki, you want a treat? And sometimes she does it. Sometimes she's, we have to coax her a little bit. But she gets in the crate, and she knows she gets a treat. But then what happens? The door locks. She sold her soul for a little treat. She's trapped for the next eight hours because she gave in to a little treat. And one night at, you know, whatever night, at 10 o'clock or something, I'm thinking, isn't that us? Don't I do the same thing? 
Isn't there times that I trade in eternity for that little treat? Thought of Jacob and Esau, the story of that, if you're familiar with it, uh, you know, twin brothers that were like any other, any other brothers, fought all the time. And if you remember, Esau come home, comes back from a, from a long day of hunting and is like over-exaggerate, over-dramatic. He's like, I'm starving to death. And of course, Jacob's, oh, look, I've got soup. And he's like, would you like some soup? And he's like, yeah, I'm dying here. So he's okay, just give me your birthright. And I don't care what you take, just give me the soup. I'm like that all the time. I trade in eternity for something so small that doesn't last. And we do the same thing. So as we enter this time of, of communion, I just want us to to listen to this passage. I was going to show the video, but I, I didn't end up um, doing it. But there's a passage that talks about finding God in, in the midst of all the distractions. You know, it's a still, small voice. But we look at him and we look for him in the big things. And as we come to this time of communion, we need to be re- reminded that when we start focusing upward instead of inward, that's when we experience the goodness, the love, the mercy of God. And that's when we start to have the true joy that we can share with others. It's a story of, of Elijah. And if, if you're familiar with the story back in, in 1 Kings, Elijah was the prophet that was on top of the mountain that, that did the fire the, with the prophets and made fun of him. He was a good trash talker, which is I really like about him. But there's a point where Elijah is, is running for his life. He's got all the distractions, all the external distractions. He's scared. He's afraid. He's stressed. He's inward focused. Oh, why is this happening to me? First Kings 19. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood on the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? We look for God in those big things. Or we just get so distracted with those big things that we lose sight that there is a gentle voice whispering our names as a child of God. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for getting so distracted in life that we lose sight of our goal. We lose sight of what you put us here for, and that is to have a relationship with you and to share that relationship with the world. But God, we're so broken at times. We're so inward-focused or outward-focused that we forget to focus on you. As we are in this time of communion, God, would we, may we find in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this struggle, in the midst of all this pain and anguish and torment and depression and, and anxiety, God, that we find your gentle voice calling out our names. In Jesus' name.